Well, if you haven't already grabbed your seat, you can be seated and get comfortable there with your notes and your pen and your Bible. Genesis 26 is where we're going to be today as we tie a bow on this amazing season, this season that we've been in called Lucky in Love. Hope you've learned something. Hope God's blessed you through it. I know it's been encouraging, challenging, gripping for our hearts, our marriage, for us as we've been talking uh, over the table and in conversations, all these things that we've been learning from this love story of Isaac and Rebecca. And where we pick up the story in Genesis 26, they have got married, the camels got the water, Laban played his angles, all the things have been happening. And, uh, and we talked as we did last week about kind of some of the stuff they began to discover post-marriage, which is their past caught up with them. And some of the stuff in Isaac's life from his upbringing, from his family of origin, these things started rearing their head. You don't have to get much past the cake and opening the presents before you start to go, oh, so this is, this is what's going down. This is, this is how it is. Yeah, no, I think if you haven't listened to last week's message, you really need to. And we were talking about how important it is to not just listen to it, but also the next steps of, okay, so I've learned this hard stuff. What can I do now? I need to talk with... Um, a couple in our lives. I need, we need to talk to our small group or whatever it is because the things that we learned last week, I know for me, were deep things. And so the harder the things are, the more we need to ask God, how do we live this? How, what, what's the next step in this? And so, um, and I was actually just even talking to someone earlier about they just got married, but now it's their finances. Like they're really struggling in their finances. And so it's like their, each of their family of origins of how they treated money. And now it's like they're t- together and trying to figure it out. And it's so hard. And so some of these things are so difficult, but so worth it as we talk about them together as couples, talk about it in our Fresh Life group, talk about it with our friends. So um, just make sure that you listened to that message and um, that you figure out those next steps. And all of those messages are there, YouTube, on the Fresh Life app, on Spotify. You can listen to them again. Uh, they, 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 experts say we, we get just a small portion of what we listen to when we listen to it through one time. And so to be able to circle back, look at those notes, listen to it again, listen to it with a friend, listen to it with new ears in a new season. All the Lucky and Love talks are out there. Uh, today we want to give to you a message together that we uh, wrote and we have called Unleashing the flow of blessing in marriage. How to unleash, doesn't that sound like something you want to unleash the flow of blessing in marriage? We're looking, starting in verse 12, Genesis 26, it says, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. It's a great verse, Jenny, don't you think? He began prospering, continued prospering until he was prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are very much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of, say it with me, 
Gerar. Gerar. And dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. So from these verses, we see this, this incredible picture of Isaac and Rebekah together collectively, their family coming to a place of blessing, God's blessings on their life. They're moving, their family's growing, they're, they're, they have sons now, which was a, a journey for them, and their possessions are growing. God's prosperity on their lives is clear and, and evident in more ways than just their money and the peace and the strength and in them growing and tapping into this, this promise. But we see the gory backstory, the dirty backside of what it took to get there to have these flocks, to have these herds, to have all these animals, they needed water. Practically speaking, they needed to have water. To, you, you, you can't keep livestock alive without having the water yeah, to water sustain them. And so what does Isaac do? Isaac turns to some wells that his father had in the days gone by that the Philistines, who were envious of him, who were jealous of his success, jealous of the prosperity that they had out of spite, and there's no other way to describe it, Envy that led to spite. They had shoved dirt, shoved earth into all the wells. This is terrorism, man. This is gnarly. They just, they just filled all the wells in with earth so that they no longer were usable. This is common tactics in that day to put rocks in someone's field, to cut down trees, and to stop up wells so that when they come through, they have nowhere that they can get water. So what is Isaac doing? He's stewarding the blessing well by making sure that there was a flow of H2O for all of his herds. Well, and I think this is so interesting because um, when, when there's envy, when there's jealousy, um, you, it's just a clear picture of what can happen when you let that dictate what you do. I mean, to go out of your way to, I mean, that's hard work to like dig up dirt, dig up yeah. dirt and put it in someone's well. Like that's so much work to go against what God is doing in someone else's life. And, and I know that none of us want that in our own lives, but even picturing like what are the, the seeds of that? Like what are the beginnings of envy? What are the beginnings of jealousy that could take over and that could cause us to do something drastic and horrible and keeping, trying to keep someone else from walking in what God's well, called them to. Well, it's such a small mentality to think that if, if I tear you down, that's somehow gonna make me do better. That if I pull, like to, there's such a small mentality to think that there's so little blessing going around that they see Isaac and Rebecca being uh, lifted up and doing well. And they think, well, if I can tear that down, somehow I'm going to get some of it, which right. is obviously the exact opposite. You never rise trying to pull other people and cut other people down, down to size. Right, that's right. But then seeing Isaac's response to this. His response to seeing wells that aren't flowing is to dig out the dirt that's stopping and blocking and clogging the drain. I love this picture of, of this hardworking, industrious shepherd here, husband here. He's got vines. He's got, he's got, he's got plants. He's got, he's got animals. He's got all of this. God is blessing so much that he knows he has to take care of bringing water to flow through to these things. And in it, we have actually an amazing picture of what it takes uh, to, to have your marriage unlock the flow of God's blessing because God intends for all of our marriages, for all of our relationships uh, to be a source of God bringing, listen to me, water to a, a thirsty world. In fact, Ephesians chapter five says, this is a great mystery, 
but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And so those of you who have read Ephesians 5, you know it's all about marriage, all about what a husband should focus on, what a wife should focus on, what they should both focus on, which is submitting to one another in the fear of God. And he says all of this about how marriage is supposed to function. And then he brings it around in the end and goes, hey, but just so you know, this is all meant to be a picture of our relationship with Jesus. That is to say that your marriage and my marriage are supposed to point people to the marriage, to the ultimate marriage of what it looks like to have a relationship with God. But the problem is this living water, which Jesus said is what can quench the thirst of, of, of a humanity that's weary and can't find its satisfaction anywhere in this world. That's what we're hope, hopefully pointing people to Jesus. But sadly, a lot of times in our hearts, in our marriages, in our relationships, these wells that are supposed to be flowing out living water are not doing what they're supposed to do because they're full of dirt and full of earth. And so the flow of water easily gets blocked, easily gets cut off. And all, for all of us, it's a problem. Yeah, that's right. Because we're meant to, just like Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman, um, he said that um, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And that is what is meant for each and every one of us who follow Jesus and love Jesus. We're meant to be this spring of water, of living water, of God's life flowing through us um, to everlasting life. And so that's what we're meant to, to do and meant to have in our lives, whether we're married or whether we're single. But this beautiful picture, like you're saying, of the marriage and um, husband and wife and the picture of the gospel and the picture of life flowing through us. That's what it's meant to be. Yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your relationship. And so single people, this vision of what uh, God wants to do through you when that day comes and God brings you to that person and like Isaac and Rebecca, you lift your eyes and you see in the field serving Jesus, doing this thing, not a perfect person, not a person that's perfectly compatible for you, uh, a, a sinful person, a messed up person, a broken person who loves a perfect God and you get to then join that journey and that dance of, of serving God with someone who's in process, with someone who has rough edges, with someone whose rough edges are going to rub up against your rough edges and help you become smoother, help you become faster, help you become stronger. And to the extent that your relationship is healthy and strong and vibrant and, and whole, God is able to flow that living water that he wants to get to this world through your relationship. And people who encounter you, people who sit across the dinner table from you, people who work alongside of you, people who you play volleyball with in the summer or you ski with in the winter, who watch your relationship and they see the brokenness in the relationships in their lives. They see other people's relationships damaged and hurt and vindictive and, and, and so much so much wounds. And, and they see in yours this, this example and picture of what it looks like to walk with Jesus. It's meant to be one of the greatest dynamic strengths and sources of God's blessings that you get to enjoy, but that also the world gets to see as well. Yeah. Well, and I think um, we so often will feel that pressure of like, I've, we have to be perfect. Like we have to, like, if we're the picture of the gospel, we have to live this out perfectly for all to see. But that is not the point. The point is that people are seeing the light in our eyes, the life that we have in Christ. And 
that we're gonna fail forward and we're gonna fail well and we're gonna apologize and we're gonna have humility and because we're not meant to be perfect picture. We're meant to be a kind of a messy, blurry picture, but with the heart of, hey, this is, we're able to do this because this is impossible, but we're able to do this because of Jesus as the center of our lives. So I think that that can sometimes be like, oh, okay, so I have to live perfectly, but no, that is impossible. But in the mess, and even like with our kids, like teaching them, this is how we respond in conflict. And this is how we love each other in the midst of hard stuff and good stuff. And so... And so what does it take? What does it take to unleash the flow of blessing in marriage? It takes a constant mentality of needing to dig the dirt out that the enemy wants to scoop into your wells. Your marriage is full of wells that are potentially sources of hydration to a thirsty world and to you as well, that God actively wants to bless you. I believe it with all my heart. God wants to prosper you. His plans for you are good and not for evil to give you a future and to hope. He wants to bless your business, wants to bless your family, wants to bless your marriage, wants to bless your kids. He wants to bless you. And to the extent that you allow him to bless you, he's able to bless other people through you. But the enemy, who is a thief and a liar and a murderer from the beginning, he's got a shovel and he's always seeking to fill your wells with dirt. So what do we have to do in marriage? We have to have the mentality that we are digging out the wells that get dirt thrown in them. We're digging out constantly evaluating the wells. And I didn't say well, the wells in our marriage, the different aspects of what it takes to walk in relationship, to walk in marriage, to thrive and fight, to flourish together. Oh, oh, what? Am I wearing a fight to flourish shirt? I'm still on Team Flourish, Jenny. And, and to have it in this mentality, your flocks can't flourish, your family can't flourish without that constant flow of water. And the water is always going to be dried up when the enemy is shoving dirt in. And so what we did together is we put together a well check. Just like you would take your kids to the doctor for a well check or go hopefully for your annual physical. Like I know this year when I went to my physical, I needed counseling afterwards. Uh, <laughs> Because it was so traumatic to me. It's so traumatic. It's always traumatic, but it's important. Yeah. And, you know, you read in the news about guys, you know, younger than your age dying unexpectedly of a prostate cancer or this or that. It's like, it's so important for those well checks to, to look into how you're doing. And the Bible says that we are to know, if we're, if we're using agricultural analogies, the state of your flocks and your herds. How's your, how's your, how's your flocks doing? How's your family doing? How's your, how's your marriage doing? And <laughs> what... Is your, which, which well is it that today needs your attention? Yeah, I love this so much. I think this is um, for all of us to lean in and to take notes on these, these wells that we're gonna be talking about. And I even think about kids, like when, for those of us who are parents, we bring our kids in for their well check. And um, it's not like, oh, your kid is supposed to be like, this right here, like this is where your kid's supposed to be. Like every child is different. So there's a, there's a curve and there's a bend and there's, they should be within this like area. They should be within this weight. They should be within this height. Like this, that's kind of the idea. And what's so amazing is as you're regularly, yearly checking up, you're able to know like, okay, are you, are you dipping down below where you should be? Are you dipping, are you higher than you should be? Like <clears throat> you should be at this, at this point. And so I think that that's so helpful for us to know too, as we're 
checking our wells because we're all in different places. We're all in different journeys um, in our walks with the Lord and in our marriages. Some of us are more mature than others. And we just need to, in this moment, receive what God has for us in these different It's going to be different every day. And different. So what we have is for you four different wells that we want to give you. These are things that Jenny and I go through and talk through. How are we doing? Because, you know, we need to say, how's our marriage going? Well, it's a complicated answer. Good, bad, like it's great in this area. And, and just when we're focused on this area over here, so we're going to give you the first well in a moment and you're going to go, hey, that well's great. What about well number three? What, what, what about well number four? So you spend this week working on well number four and guess what the enemy's doing while you're at four? He's over there going, hey, I'm throwing some dirt in well number two. And we all, this is always, 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 there's always has to be diligence. Our, our marriages, our families, our relationships, our living things, dynamic things, changing things, ever constant constantly growing. There's a, there's a pulse to it. There's a vibe to health. And so what we're trying to do is get a sense on, hey, how's this over here? Let's get the dirt out. And then we're going to move on to the next one and work on that. When I talk to, to leaders, I'm always like talking about how in, in ministry, you can't just have an all or nothing mentality. How's the church doing? Well, the small groups might be doing good, but then we need some attention to the creative over here. And then you, you, you work on this aspect of culture over here and maybe work on upgrading some technology over here. And then the, the website's outdated. So it's like constantly having to, 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 like painting the Golden Gate Bridge, the moment they finish, they go back and start again because it's so big. While they were painting the back end, the front end is already faded and rusted. And so you have to think about this as a continuum and as something that's always in flux and always in progress. So the first well that you need to check is? Spiritual priority. The well of is spiritual matters a priority in your home? Because the enemy's always trying to shovel dirt in called neglect. So you can write that down. Maybe in your notes, you'll draw four wells and they'll look like a wishing well. I hope it's not just a wishing well. I hope it's a working well. I hope it's a functional well. Because there's a difference. I hope it's not just a decorative well that would be at Lowe's and you put it in your lawn and it's so cute there. I hope there's living water yes. gushing Amen. up from your well, from yes. the well of your marriage. Yes. Amen. Spring up, oh well. Someone say, spring up, oh well. Sp that was on. embarrassing. Uh, spiritual, <laughs> spiritual priority, spiritual priority. Uh, what does that mean? It, it means that in your marriage, there should be a, a, a well of, as for me and my house, there should be a well of we together uh, are, are seeking God. We're together focused on heaven. There should be a, a devotional aspect to your, your, your lives together and to the marriage together. Uh, we see this in Isaac and Rebecca's life. When they have a problem, what's their first line of, of, of defense, their first resort? It's to see living water flow out of the well of they have a spiritual priority in their marriage look at Genesis 25 Rebecca couldn't have children mm. heartbreaking yeah. so what did they do so Isaac prayed to the Lord for her yeah. So the, the point is, their first reaction was to bring a problem they were facing together to God right. and to let him meet it. Right. And then later on, you see it, there's another little struggle that happens and um, and Rebecca goes to the Lord and inquires of the Lord. And I think that that is so key in our marriages and our relationships is that we are inquiring of the Lord and we're letting him be our wonderful counselor. I think that so often we are getting counseling, which is so important and so, um, so vital to our health and to healing, like we were learning from last week. But... Um, treating Jesus as our wonderful counselor and running to him and not 
prayer being the, the last resort, but prayer being the first resort. And I think in some marriages, um, the, I mean, we've interviewed a few people on, hey, it's the Lescos, and there's so many different kinds of marriages. And so I think this is so freeing because there are those marriages that they pray every morning and every night together. And that's amazing. That's awesome. But then there are some marriages where they don't really like to pray together. And it's it, when, it, when I heard that, I was like, that's so weird. But also, like, that's how they work. They and they're pray praying on their own. And talk about it together. Yeah, like they have such yeah. a beautiful, like they have a relationship that I would love ours to look like when we're that age. But it's just different for everyone. So it's inquiring of the Lord. It's treating him as our wonderful counselor. Yeah. I think really what this comes down to is, is you're checking this well. You're asking the question, is that the emphasis of our home? Is, is there a, a spiritual tone to our relationship? Are we trusting with God? Are we walking, are, trusting God? Are we walking with, with God together? Are we allowing him to speak into our life? And, you know, as you're checking this well, it could just literally come down to first day of the week rolls around. Is this a priority to you? And here you are watching this right now. Why? Because you're saying that I want to, this new week, begin it with God. I want, I want God to speak into my life. I want to worship him. I want to, I want to honor him. And we have found that as we're growing in our relationships with God together and as a family, as there's prayer, as we're running things through the filter of what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's God saying to you? When our kids are asking us questions, it's not just, well, you should do this or you should do that. It's, hey, what's, what's God saying to you? What do you think God would have you to do here in this situation? What, what, what should we do? We're asking God for help. We're asking God for guidance. What are we doing? We're letting him set the pace for our lives. The enemy is literally going to pour earth into your well where our wells should be about heaven and about God's kingdom and about the invisible and what we can't see. The enemy wants to just pour earth in where all we're focusing on is earth. All we're focusing on is this life. And God's trying to stretch your imagination wider to give you a better picture of the good life than just three car, three house, you know, three bedroom, two bathroom house, two cars in the garage and this much money in the, the 401k. And that's to me what the good life is that we're saying, no, the good life is following Jesus and doing what he has called me to do and being a witness and being a part of him renewing this world and being his agents and, and believing for salvation for our kids and stewarding blessings that can be used in God's kingdom. We're just having a different mentality because there's a spiritual priority in our homes. Like Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto Amen. you. And I think a key in this is having wells within a well because truly the health of our marriage is only going to be to the extent of how I'm pressing into Jesus and how I'm walking with the Lord on my own because if I'm looking to Levi to meet needs that only Jesus can give me then that is so unhealthy and that is so wrong I need to be receiving everything from Jesus that only he can give me satisfaction and strength and power and perspective and um, joy, like that only comes from the Lord. And then I can come into our relationship with a sweetness and not with expecting Levi to, to be my savior and to meet all my needs, but where I can come in and, and be a giver and be um, in this relationship together. We were listening, this, and this applies to single people. We were listening to this interview with someone who said that while they were single, they, they didn't quite want to address all the dysfunction in their life because they thought if they got healthy single, God would leave them that way. 
And she was saying, so I was kind of like tr trying to, to not fully get there. So if I, I felt like if I was content with my life and satisfied and peaceful and at that place of, of contentment where I was at, God was just going to abandon me there. So sort of like trying to, to not address them all so that that husband, that spouse could, could fix those things. And I'm just telling you like, that is such the backwards picture that Jenny doesn't complete me and I don't complete Jenny. We love each other. We're grateful for each other, but we were both whole. Had we had been whole in Jesus. And to, so now in our marriage, we get to both walk with Jesus and some days she's weaker and some days I'm stronger and most days I'm weaker and, and she's stronger, but we flow together. And what is God saying to you? What's he saying to me? I'm praying for her. She's praying for me. That's a spiritual dimension. So this is just a chance to say, you know, how, how have we let this slip? How have we let some, some dirt in? You might only need a shovel to get a few of the rocks out. You might need to call the backhoe. There might need to be drastic measures that you take, but, but the enemy wants you to, to neglect spiritual things. And Jesus wants it to be paramount and a priority in and your home. I think the enemy also wants you to think that because you haven't done anything to tend this area, that there's no hope for you. But the next tiny baby step is the next step and is going to be the next step into unearthing all of what is in that well. And so just have take heart. Yeah, um, there's hope. Even if you haven't been practicing these things, there's hope for you to start now and it's never too late. So there's hope. We were showing our kids what about Bob the other day. So now it's like baby steps to the elevator, baby steps to church, <laughs> baby steps to tithing, baby steps to I read the Bible verse that's on the U version, you know, verse of the day. Okay, amazing. Yeah. Little steps, little steps, little steps. Well, number two we wrote down is emotional vulnerability. As you have your check-in this week at day night, you get to your small group this week, is the question of how is the well of emotional vulnerability going in your relationship? Because here's what the enemy wants to throw in. He wants to throw in distance. Yeah. He wants to throw in distance. He wants to get space between you two. But God wants you to be emotionally vulnerable with each other. And yeah. that is so hard. And I don't know why it's so hard. But it is. But even just the simple thing of saying, this hurts, or I'm having a hard time, or when you said this, this is how it made me feel. It's such a simple thing, but in the moment, it feels like impossible, and it feels so difficult to do. But I think that that's, it is such a simple thing to do, and the enemy will get in that moment, and it'll almost be like, oh, I could, but then I'm not. And I think that... Um, that takes hard work, just like we're digging out this dirt. Like that takes hard work to be vulnerable and to let down your guard and to say, hey, I'm really struggling. I'm really having a hard time. I, I need prayer or whatever. Like that alone, like that, even that phrase, like I just need help or I just need prayer, that disarms the whole situation and it doesn't get flared up and people aren't saying things that they don't mean. And I think that that is so huge and it's so simple, but it's also easy not to do. I think in this regard, we can point to Isaac and Rebecca and their family as a pretty stunning picture of what not to do. As you see them have conflict, their response is to banish one another. And, oh, you had a fight with your brother. You need to run away and you know, never talk to him again and hold, this, hold this grudge to the rest of your, your, to, to your whole, yeah, lie to your dad. Like they, they're, not, they're not vulnerable yeah. with one another yeah. to the extent this hurt my feelings. This is, this is what, what happened to me. And it is so much easier to, to give in to anger, which is a secondary emotion, yeah. than it is to admit that your feelings were hurt or it made you feel small or it made you feel not enough. And so I know it's a 
lot easier for me to be huffy and, and kind of uptight and, and locked and guarded with Jenny than it is to say, that made me feel small when you said that. And it made me feel like I'm not doing a good job providing for you. And, and when I say that, she's like, well, that's not at all what I wanted you to feel. I just, this is how that made me feel. And, and I really believe that this is what it means in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed because it's so easy to dress ourselves up with these things and to, right. to wear them like armor. And all it does is it puts an arm length between you. Mm-hmm. And God knows what uh, a powerful combination you are when you're leaned in together, when that bond, when that, when that union is, that living dynamic thing is energized and hydrated and, and nourished. And when you're, when you're together uh, in, in that way, that, that soul to soul, heart to heart, mm-hmm. head to head, mind to mind, there is just some Something so powerful yeah. about that. That river that's going to flow from your relationship is going to bring liquid hydration to people all around the world. So the enemy is going to always stand there with a shovel and try and just load after load of dirt into that well yeah. and keep you from getting in touch with your feelings, journaling them to figure out even what they are, and then being able to humbly without fault pointing, finger pointing, bring how you're feeling to each other. Right. And just as God has the potential in us of power, the enemy knows that too. And so he's going to find a way to get us to be arm's length apart and not together, not heart to heart, not side by side. And I think that that is so important for us to be aware of because in those little fights, in those little things, because it's never about a big thing. I mean, sometimes it is, but it's usually the, the little nitty gritty things that don't really matter. And it's taking time in those moments where you just take a second and you're, first of all, you think, okay, my husband loves me and he's fighting for me. So how in this moment can I have that big picture perspective versus this tiny little thing? You didn't pick up your socks again. What is wrong with you? But, oh my gosh, my husband is amazing and he loves me and he provides for me and he leads me. And so having the the bigger mentality in a little moment too. And one thing that can be helpful about this and a lot of, you know, they're like, I don't even really know how I'm feeling. And, and so one exercise th- that psychologists point to that's a great resource, and especially if you have kids, uh, but for you as well, is to Google an emotional vocabulary wheel. And just like the color wheel where you see the primary colors and then you see it span out from there into more and more secondary colors and all all the rest. If you Google emotional vocabulary wheel, you can actually see there's a lot more than just three or four uh, emotions. There's a lot of different things, but you can see how they're connected and it could be a fun thing at dinner to just look at at all these different emotions and it gives you language to be able to say, this is how I'm feeling and this is where that took me and where those are, where it just becomes, and it's going to be a natural at first and awkward at first and, you know, uh, we're to, to, to talk about, I'm annoyed. Well, what is that? What's really under that? What's the thing under the thing? What's cool about that is it develops more of a curiosity. And when you feel triggered and when you feel like your buttons are getting pushed, instead of just reacting and doing something based on that mm-hmm. to actually be more curious, man, that has a pretty strong reaction. I wonder why. I wonder, I wonder why she's so keyed up. I wonder what's under that. And if you have a more curious mentality, it'll cause you to be less accusative and a less, you know, this is what you've done and, and more, more in touch with those things that help you to, to be vulnerable with each yeah, other. That's life-changing. Being curious and asking questions versus accusing and assuming questions. Yeah, I think that's, that's huge. All right, the third well, well number three. <laughs> We're on a well check here. Spring up, oh well, the well of intentional generosity. 
intentional generosity because the devil wants to, you hear him beep, beep, beep. He's got a a whole uh, excavator. He's trying to, to push a bunch of selfishness into your well. Mm. And, uh, and, and so, Phil wanted. dirty Phil wanted. Dirty Phil He's wanted. trying to shove the dirtiest <laughs> Phil into your well. Like these Philistines just shoving dirt into these wells. Uh, and, and the well of, it, the dirt is called selfishness. Yeah. And so what it takes is intentional generosity. So to ask yourself this question, how am I doing when it comes to uh, being intentionally generous, not with how I want to give love, but how I know my wife receives love. Mm. And so this is, this is, physical touch that's non-sexual. This is spending time together. I know for me, uh, it's, I, it takes active work to not look through Jenny and continue to think on whatever I'm thinking about while she's talking to me about <laughs> her feelings. And t- she's like, you're not looking at me. I'm like, yeah, I'm totally like looking at you. pouring at my heart and he's just like looking at me like I know that he's not hearing me but then he but then I think you know, the most am frustrating I the only thing, one at all like I'm just sorry <laughs> the, the most frustrating thing is that he'll repeat back to me what I said but I was like but I'm like you're not actually listening to me with your eyes you heard me but you're not like here with me yeah. so that's always the frustrating yeah, thing so it's being generous <laughs> with eye contact and generous with intention and yeah. for me it's resisting the urge to write a chapter of a book in my head <laughs> behind you while you're telling me things that, you know, that's just how, that, I'm telling you it is. And, and it's, it's being generous. And you have to be active listening and trying in my head, not just to frame what I'm going to say next or what I'm going to do after this conversation. Right. This really means something to her. Yeah. And so it's, it's being, uh, I think, generous. And generosity is, is sacrifice. Yeah. And so for me, it's knowing, like, what is it going to mean to you mm-hmm. what the, if I do this little thing, if I pick up the, the bedroom, if I, if I, you know, offer to, to put the kids to bed so you can, you know, have a little bit of Jenny time. And, you know, just, it's just being generous intentionally creatively and not just selfishly giving how you want to give love. Right, which is hard to do because it takes work and it takes intentionality, like we're saying, and it takes focus and it takes thinking differently because we don't think differently. We think we, we don't think the same. We think very differently. So for you to think, how would this affect Jenny? Like that is amazing and I receive it like, wow, you are thinking of me and you love me and you care for me, which I know is true. But then when you're thinking the way I think in a moment where, hey, this would really bless Jenny, that's huge. And it goes such a long way and it's preferring each other. Yeah, like I don't get much out of hand-holding, but I know (laughs) you love it. And I so I'm like, I'm like, if I try and think about holding your hand and just those little things to me, they don't mean as much to me. I thought you like hand-holding. I'd love it. But I, <laughs> but I don't like, I don't love, love, love it. it I could leave it. So I could take it or leave it. we both hold each other's hand. Amazing. We sorted this out. <laughs> so I think it's just figuring out and, 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 and giving what, what, what the other person wants to receive. Yeah. I came across this great quote I want to put on the screen from Catherine Doherty on making love and a connection to prayer. It's a wild left turn, guys. But look at this on the screen. This was in my, my uh, devotional I was reading. Married people don't need a bedroom to make love. Hello. They do if they have kids. Uh, one can make love any place. And making, remember when we were first married and we had a goal to make love in every bedroom and apartment, part, part of our apartment? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, One can make love any place. And listen to this. Making love does not necessarily mean making love. 
immediately what people think it means. Making love can mean looking into each other's eyes. It doesn't mean in Jenny and I's relationship holding hands. It means being aware of each other in the midst of a crowd. So it is with prayer. And I love this. She's just exploring you to think differently about making love. She's saying making love, especially paying attention in a crowd. Those little notices, that's making love. That's, it's making love in, in what you care about. And then I love that she connects that to how we should think about prayer and walking with Jesus. It's not just the making love time of your quiet time. It's not just this, this is exactly when you're in devotional church. It's just this daily life and rhythm and dance of life, knowing that the Holy Spirit's with you and upon you and working through you. Yeah. It's beautiful, intentional generosity. Which, like you said, selfishness is what can be is the dirt that's poured into that one. And I think that that is so easy to walk in, to walk in selfishness and to walk in um, only thinking about how this affects me and only thinking about how he's being selfish and not thinking about me. And I think that when you get in that rut, it's just, you're just in that rut, you're in a selfish rut, but you have to force yourself to think intentional, generosity in this moment. What does this look like? And it means sacrifice. It means I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to because of the relationship, because of our love, because of God's hand on our lives, like fighting for what God has given us. It helped me so much to realize that, that Jenny's flourishing should be my priority because I'm a husband. And literally a husband is a technical term for a gardener who tends a vine. And so a, a, a farmer gives the vine, a husband, literally, husbandry, gives the vine what the vine needs to flourish and be at its best. And that's different season by season. That's different day by day. And I, I, knowing what's on your schedule, knowing what's on your load, knowing what you've had to deal with that day, it makes me want to adjust my approach and not just have every single thing be, you know, this, if everything, if, if, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Same thing's true when it comes to showing love creatively, being a student of your wife, being a student of your husband and knowing what's going on that day and how you can best serve and support them so they can flourish. Yeah, and I do want to say that Levi has grown in this so much. Like you have grown and it's so amazing to see um, how you are attentive and how you do um, help me to flourish and you do speak life over me. And But it didn't, it wasn't, it I mean, it didn't, I'm, I'm sure it didn't come naturally. I mean, you've always had that, but it's just even grown so much. And so there's hope in the fact that if, if you're not practicing that, you can start now. And it's gonna take time because you're planting seeds. So don't expect to be like, sacrificing things and giving generously and then nothing in return because it takes time. Seeds take time. And so as you plant these seeds of being intentional and of being generous and of thinking outside of yourself, that um, it's going to take time for it to grow and to be beautiful, but it's going to be beautiful as you plant those right seeds. Yeah, come on. All right, the fourth well that we need to talk about is the well called sexual intensity. Hello, that's a good well. I like the sound of that well. Uh, this is the well where we get to enjoy and fight for uh, this great gift that God gave to us called sexuality that he invented, this gift uh, that is a funny thing. It's a weird thing. If you don't believe me, just wait till you get to describe uh, what it is to your kids. It, like... Oh, okay. Uh, but when you, when, you, when you actually get right down to it, it's a delightful thing. It's meant to enhance your life, enhance your relationship. 
I'm convinced if you don't ever crack up laughing while doing it, you're doing it wrong. Because it's a weird thing. It's a funny thing. It's a humbling thing. And it's just beautiful thing that God gave to us. Yeah. Well, and like we were learning a couple weeks ago um, about sex. Just it being in marriage in the place that God designed for it to be is beautiful. And it's an expression of our love for each other. And so... um, it's, it's meant to be in, in marriage and it's not meant to be outside of marriage for, for anyone else. It's meant for each other. And the, the idea of focusing on each other and the beauty that it is. And like, we, like I said a few weeks ago, sex is, in marriage is like good and plenty. It's so good and you can have plenty of it. Mm. And so I think that when we have that mindset Black of- Black Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, but- I mean, I would say that would be a practical thing for all married couples, just have sex more often because there's a binding, there's a, a beauty, there's a, a connection. Um, and I would just say that. Well, it's so, meant to be go. this physical expression of what's happening on every level, which is a commitment to exclusivity. Right. So when I've committed to you socially, I'm Jenny's husband. When I've committed to you financially, we're connected. When I've committed to you uh, for our whole life, till death do us part, there's a contract there. Then sex is that, that, that final physical promise of what is happening in every other area of your life. And to have sex, the Bible says, causes you to be glued together or bound together. You become one flesh. There's something more to this mystical aspect of our sexuality where you, you were too, but there's some way that you're, you're, you're woven together on the inside. And it's a lie if you're not committing to each other in every other way. Right. So to use sex uh, in just a physical sense, in a cavalier sense, just pornography, just this appetite, this or over here, this person over there, it, it makes it a lie. It makes this thing that you're doing uh, not be telling the truth and it can cause you to become numb on the inside and not to be able to enjoy it in the way that God intended it to be enjoyed all along. Right. And the way that the enemy can get in there into that this well, the sexual intensity well, is dilution. Yeah. Um, because he wants to dilute the beauty of sex in marriage. Yeah. In the sense where we're not going to each other, we're not committed to each other, we're not loving each other, not focusing on each other, but our eyes are wandering and we're looking at other things and we're letting other people meet that need or we're, I mean, even in, um, oh, it's not even in Proverbs this one. Five. Proverbs 5. I'm, I'm in yeah, Proverbs 5 says, then. drink water from your own cistern, mm-hmm. running water from your own well. So the way, the way to, to keep, and he goes on and talks about pretty explicitly what that looks like, drinking water from your well. Hello. Uh, he, he, he's basically saying, you're not going to enjoy water from your well if you're drinking from other wells. And this is not just actually adultery. It's, it's what you're looking at, what you're fantasizing about, what you're watching. If you take in sexuality, sexual experiences with other people, it's not going to give you that, that sense of intensity because mm-hmm. anything that's diluted is no longer as strong as it's meant to be. Yeah. And so if there's a weakening of your sexual enjoyment of this gift that God's given to us to enjoy with your spouse, perhaps it's because you're drinking from other wells and so you don't have the thirst for your spouse that, that God wants you to have. And so this is a well that we have to fight for to keep the dirt out of, to fight to keep flowing. Uh, The enemy will try and get you to have sex with other people before you're married, and then he'll try and get you to stop having sex with the person that you end up 
married to. Right, and it could be current struggles, but it could also very well, and it is for all of us, things that we bring into our marriage. And so I think that is so um, such a huge thing to be aware of that as you're in marriage, that you're re- like going back like we learned last week, what is in my past, what is in my family um, genealogy and what has happened in the, in the past with our family. I think it's so important as we seek to get healing is, um, is counseling and is working on it together and being aware that this was a struggle for my spouse. So I want to be help. I want to be a helper in this. I don't want to push my spouse away. I want to help. I want to help be part of the healing process. And so I think that is also so important that as you're enjoying sex and marriage and things are coming up that um, might be difficult, might be um, triggers or whatever, looking back and, and really taking advantage of um, allowing God to heal those places in your heart and in your life. Yeah. And the reason we put that last is because it's an, it's an outflow. It's a product of the other, other ones, you know, where you're focusing emotionally on each other, where you're focusing spiritually on your relationships with God, where you're being generous with each other. The natural expression of that is going to be making love. Is there going to be that, that desire to show your love to each other in that beautiful way that God has for you? So these are the four wells that, that we come back to again and again and again. And when we do check-ins, hey, Anything emotionally going on? Anything that I'm not doing that I could be doing? Help me, coach me, tell me how to be Jenny's husband. You know better than anybody. Uh, and, and, and so how am I doing? And how, how can you better serve me? When I, when I tell you an expectation that's not being met, oftentimes like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I didn't know you didn't like that. I'd, I'd love to, to act on that. And so then we then get to grow in the, these areas. And like Jenny said, some we just need a shovel. Some we need a backhoe. But if we keep working, we're going to get to the water flowing. We're going to end with this verse 19 and following because the last part of this passage is so beautiful. Uh, it says, also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water's ours. So he called the name of the well Esek because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well. They quarreled over that one too. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved on from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth. This is so amazing. These three final wells, and if you jump ahead to verse uh, 24, it says, then the Lord appeared to him the same night. And you don't see it all, but it's an amazing encounter. God speaks to him. He builds an altar. He calls on God's name. He pitches his tent. So here's this picture. Fighting for these wells, fighting for hydration, fighting for the the water to flow. And as he does, other people keep fighting, keep antagonizing him. So a well is named conflict and a well is named quarreling or or, or strife or dispute. So Sinek and Esek are these two wells of strife and tension and fighting. Sitna and Esek. Sinek. And if he, because he, because they continued to push on where there was conflict and where there was quarreling and there was disputing, he got to a well called Rehoboth. And the well called Rehoboth means spaciousness or a broad place or there's plenty of room. And I love this because it's this picture of only if you're willing to persevere where there's conflict 
and keep digging where there is strife and where there's quarrels and where it's difficult and where it's not easy. If you keep, a lot of people get turned back at quarrels and get turned back at strife. And because it's not easy, they bounce on it just because this isn't going well. But if you keep pushing on, so sociologists say this, if you persist and grow and take the, the, the wise right steps to keep working on a marriage, most marriages that today are unpleasant, within five years, they will become better. They will become enjoyable if you just keep going. You can get to Rehoboth. We wanted to speak life today to say that it's not easy to move through conflict and quarreling and dispute. But if you just keep digging, you can get to a broad place. You can get to a wide open space where you look up and say, I'm lucky. I'm lucky in love. I'm blessed. I'm favored. I'm fortunate. And I love this idea of room enough, of spaciousness, because I think so often um, single people are scared going into marriage because they feel like they're going to lose who they are. They're going to lose their identity. They're just going to be sucked up in this. and Half a person. Half a person. Yes. And, um, but there's room for two personalities. There's room for two opinions. There's room for two callings within a calling. There's room for God to move with two whole people serving and loving him together. Yeah, that's amazing. Two ways of seeing things. Yeah. If, if there's only one opinion in your marriage, if there's only ever one uh, way of doing things, only one person's using their mind. And God wants two leaders in the home. God wants yeah. two people working things out together yeah. and, and getting to that broad place. You know, I've gotten a lot of comments throughout this series from people who don't enjoy the word lucky. And I wanted to end uh, just with a word on it because as it so happened in God's providence, as we were going through the series, we interviewed someone who wrote the official authorized biography of Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson. And so they sent us an early copy because we got to interview him. And, uh, and I wanted to read you this excerpt. And we're going to end here believing that God is going to uh, cause there to be a broad, wide open space in all of our relationships. But I wanted to show you something beautiful about the word lucky. Wynn Collier writes, he finished, Eugene did, the Beatitudes, because he was writing the message translation of the Bible, and the editor loved what he read, with one exception. Rather than using blessed, Eugene inserted lucky. Not a bad translation of the Greek word makarios, whose meaning carries fortunate and blessed. You can't use lucky, the editor explained. There's a whole world of Texans out there who think lucky is the code name for Lucifer. And a whole other group who think lucky is an evil word denying God's providence. We lose a chunk of our audience. Eugene picked up the phone. Rick, they're taking away my lucky. You got to get it back in there. Ultimately, Eugene surrendered, though he smuggled lucky in a few places of the Bible <laughs> elsewhere. Eventually, he got his way, though, with his volume of poetry based on the Beatitudes he called holy luck. And I love this tension because he was trying to say what the, the, our word blessed, like blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is not a big enough word because it does connotate this idea of I can't believe this would happen to me. This sense of like lucky, l lucky, lucky. Like, and I really believe that, that God wants us all to see as we fight for, for there to be that flow, as we fight to unleash the, the blessings of God, in our, as, we, as we fight for what God intended in relationships to do the hard work, to, to do the hard things, to persevere through, through conflict and, 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 and through quarreling and disputing. Don't hear what I'm saying. If you're in an abusive relationship, that's not what I'm talking about. Call the police, get help, get saved. I'm, I'm, I'm saying though, if you're just, if it's just hard, if it's just difficult right now, if you persevere, 
I really do. We really do believe you can come to a place where you've grown and where you look at your life and where you look at your wife and where you look at what God's doing and you just say, look, I'm not just blessed. I'm lucky. I'm lucky to be loved like I'm loved. Amen. And the word well, obviously we're talking about the actual well, but the word well um, in the dictionary means lucky and fortunate. And where for us as believers, we can say, no matter what is going on in our lives, we can say, it is well with my soul. And as we trust God, as we look to him in the center of our marriage, as we, um, as we look to him in the struggles, in the conflict, in, in these wells, as we're seeking to, to keep, keep them flowing with fresh water, um, I just believe that we can each say, it is well with my soul. Yes, we pray together with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you're watching the service with your spouse or with your fiance or even boyfriend or girlfriend, if you want to grab hands, we'll pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your love. That is the thing that gives us strength for our love. Mm. We don't just conjure up love to serve Jenny well or to love Levi well or to love our, our, our spouse well or our kids well or this, this broken world well. We get to look to you a fountain that never runs dry, an endless supply of love. And that is enough to give us strength and the love that we can show and give. And so we don't base what we give off of what they deserve. We base the love that we give on what you've given to us. And we thank you in giving us your son, Jesus. You loved us when we were unlovable. Mm -hmm. You loved us when we didn't deserve saving. We had sinned and fallen short and you saved us and forgave us and changed us. And so I pray that love would flow through us. And I really believe, God, in this moment of ministry, that you're doing a powerful, profound work that's going to alter generations, Mm -hmm. that's going to upend long-standing patterns of sin and and chains of divorce and and, uh, addictions to pornography and other vices, God, that have just been a snare for for so long. And it's it's days like these that can be the times that you shine forth in such a way that we throw these things off based on your power, with your spirit inside of us. So I pray for healing right now in marriages. I pray for healing right now in homes. I pray for all of us to look at our lives and say, where is there dirt in wells that needs to be shoveled out so that this flow can be unleashed, this flow of blessing. And I pray it on every single person's heart watching, every relationship. And maybe you're today listening and you've never made the faith decision to give your heart to Jesus, to open your heart to him. And your marriage will never be what it's meant to be. Your, your life will never be what it's meant to be until you get to know him and let you, until you let him come into your life and make you new. Mm-hmm. And this could be the day that everything changes for you. And so as we're praying with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're ready to trust Jesus, you sense him moving in your heart right now, guilty for your sins. You need him to come in and save you. He died on the cross for you to pay your bill. He rose from the dead, securing for you eternal life forever. But you have to open your door of your heart to him to let him save you. And I pray you would even right now. I'm going to say a quick prayer. And if you're ready to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray it with me. And church family, pray it with us. Dear God, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I I can't fix myself. myself. But I believe you can. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die. That he rose from the dead. That he rose from the dead. Please come into my heart. Please come into my heart. And make it your home. And make it your home. In Jesus' name I pray. pray. Amen. 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 Come on, we're celebrating with you if you made that decision. Beautiful.
for joining us. Uh, I did want to say that if you have not yet received your Lucky and Love card, we would love to be able to send you one. All you need to do is text Lucky and Love to Fresh uh, to 9700. I think it's on screen. And we'd love to give you this as a way of you saying, I'm committing to God's plans for my relationship, especially if you're not married yet. Uh, I would love to have you sign this and hang yeah, on to a little, it. A little place for you to sign with a Sharpie. And the reason this is special to us is because Jenny gave me this key when we got married. She had been given it when you were in fifth grade, and it was to her a symbol and a token of her saving herself for me. And it meant so much to me. And even if you, you know, have slept with other people and made mistakes in your past, this could be, this card could be a symbol of you saying from this day forward. Yeah. And to think about getting to your, your marriage and saying, hey, I, I fought for you. I saved myself for you from the day that God touched my yeah. heart. And this is just a symbol we'd love for you to have. Your key card. Key it's, We updated card. the technology. Look at this old key. What is this even? It's Victorian. Victorian. It's beautiful. Had it for a long time. I love it. Yeah. And we'd love to send you this in the we mail. Would. Please uh, reach out to us. You can also do it at freshlife.church. But again, thanks for being a part of these messages, these days. It's powerful. It's been amazing. And thank Love you, you guys. for being connected into our to our ministry, and we're grateful for the technology that allows it. Have a great week. God bless you.